This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got the privilege to uh, interview Kevin Flake. How you doing, Kevin? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show today. Absolutely. Great to have you. We talked a little before we started recording here. You can see my Cardinal hat here in the background. Um, you've got your sports stuff and memorabilia in the background. You're a Yankees fan. I'm a Cardinals fan. And we both talked about our uh, maybe our displeasures of the Red Sox with us, them beating us in 04 and 13 in the World Series and uh, you, you being a Yankees fan, right? Yeah, it's pretty tough. I mean, my wife is a uh, she's a, a New Englander, grew up on Cape Cod, a lot of family in the Boston area. So family get togethers have always been a little tense. <laughs> you know, the marriage almost didn't take place. So like you're marrying a Yankees fan, really? Right. Yeah. 2004 was a tough year for me. Everybody wore their World Series gear to Thanksgiving that year. So. Yeah. Yeah, not not a good not a good year, not a good year. Yeah, we were there. The uh, they they swept us, you know, four games to none. And remember where my seats were at. My wife and I were there, and Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore ran right past our seats. We're in the eighth row. They jump over the little railing thing there, and they go on the field and they start kissing. And I'm like, what is going on right now? And then when we found out, like a couple of days later, they had to refilm the end of Fever Pitch. Uh-huh. You remember that that movie? Yeah. Uh, you know, because it was ending with an 83-year drought or whatever it was. Well, then they had to come back and redo it because they just won the World Series. And so we saw that go down. That was pretty cool. But uh, as cool as it could be for watching your team just lose a World Series. But anyway, enough about that. You are a former Green Beret. Uh, thank you for your service to our wonderful country. Uh, much, uh, much thank, uh, Lots to be thankful for there. But uh, you've got a, a, just an unbelievable story. And so I knew we had to reach out and, and connect and, and get you on the podcast. So before we kind of dive into all that stuff, you, like I said, you, you were wounded by war. You were a Green Beret. Um, like I said, got an amazing story. But there, there's always a backstory, right, of kind of who made Kevin the man he is today. So maybe you can go back, you know, as far as recent as you want to and just kind of think of the things that helped you become the man you are today. Yeah, I mean, I look back now, especially – as a parent now I have a seven-year-old girl and a four-year-old girl and I I see the things that I'm trying to do with them to implant success into their mind and into their life and I'm kind of seeing these things that my parents did early on and it's it's making more sense to me kind of the approach that they were taking right Um, so you know from a young age my mom every day I can remember her kissing me on the cheek and sending us off to school and saying you're a flight you're an achiever Mm -hmm. I see like that positive affirmation each day you know, not, Hey, you're a flake. You deserve things, right? It's, you're an achiever. You're going to get out there and you're going to earn things. And, you know, there's a high expectation of you right. uh, for, because of, of what we've given you in life. And my father was an entrepreneur, you know, did, you know, the whole series of entrepreneurship failed 10 times. The 11th time was successful uh, type of situation. Yep. And so I, I was able to see 
from that perspective growing up of like, if you have this vision in life, if you can, can think really big and you are willing to put the time in and put the effort into it, like anything is possible. And so through his efforts, right, and, and my mother's efforts, it changed the course of my life and my family's life. You know, because he ultimately became a self-made millionaire, you know, a guy who graduated second to last in his high school class and didn't finish college. Uh, so I grew up in that environment of, you know, really believing in yourself, you know, doubling down on yourself, working towards those goals. And as a kid, you know, we'd spend our time going to work because a family business, right? You're going to work in your family business, yeah. uh, go to school. And luckily my dad likes sports a lot. So we played sports uh, quite a bit. But I can remember, like, as a kid, taking my breaks at his warehouse in the Little League fields off in the distance. I can hear kids playing. <laughs> I'm, like, 12 years old. I want to be out there. Yeah. So, I hated it at the time. But, like, that's – looking back, I'm, like, that's what made me who I am. Like, that's what made me think about, like, setting huge goals that most people think are unattainable and then maniacally focusing on those goals and going forward with yeah. that. And so that's something I try to do every day with my kids now, right? I drop them off for school. I say, hey, remember, you're a flike, you're an achiever. And then I added this to it. It's kind of like, like, and what do flikes do? And they'll always say, they don't give up and they help other people. Um, that's awesome. It's, it's something I, I want to try to replicate with the kids. And you know, I had a lot of great fortune to go to an all-boys Catholic military school in Troy, New York, uh, about 45 minutes from where I grew up. And you know, from there, I really learned the virtues of love God, love country, and put others above yourself. And so I think for, for me, kind of who I am today and everything I've done with my life is really just a product of the incredible environments that I've been a part of. Yeah. So what, what made you get into the military? So if you had that experience, you went to this, uh, obviously you went to military school, I know, but what, what was that what was that turning point for you that said, you know what, I'm going to join the military. Not only am I going to join it, I'm going to become a Green Beret. I got really interested in it uh, at this the school. Um, we were watching like this infamous Discovery Channel Navy SEAL Hell Week video. Yeah. And, you know, half the class is not paying attention because they're 14. And the other half is like, why would anybody want to do that? And I'm like, whoa, that looks awesome right there. And it just to me, like the hardness of it, the camaraderie, the barriers to entry, uh, for me, that that looked like a great challenge. And yeah. kind of as, as high school wore on, right, this concept of love God, love country, put others above yourself, like it started to seem like for me, like this can be a way that I could put uh, others above myself, that I could serve country, serve the, the greater good of, of humanity. And then 9-11 happens in my senior year, and it goes from kind of this fascination to what I perceive as, as this duty of mine. Mm. Uh, you know, so went to college fully thinking like from day one, when I graduate, you know, I'm going to join the military as soon as I uh, graduate. Yeah. So you get up, you go, uh, you go, you graduate, you go join the military. Talk to us about that process. Cause again, you don't just wake up and, and join the green beret. Yeah. You know, it was a long process of me trying to understand like, what are all the other options that are out there? You know, what is, I, I knew I wanted to be in special operations because I liked the difficulty of it and how long it takes to get into it. Yep. So for me, it was just a matter of like surveying, you know, what, what is this, the Navy have to offer the Marines, the Air Force, the Army, and the, the mission statement of the Green Berets, they oppressively bear to free the oppressed kind of spoke to me as to, you know, what I really wanted to be doing. And you're basically a consultant for the military there. You're like a 12 on a 12 man team. You go to foreign countries, you train their militaries and their militias. 
And, you know, in the case of an Iraq, Afghanistan actually fight alongside them. So you're, you're learning cultures, customs, languages, and, you know, at 22 years old, I'm like, this is, wait, they're going to pay me to do this? <laughs> like, this, this is amazing here. Um, so, so, so that was really kind of the decision that I wanted to make. And, you know, I made that decision and, uh, you know, all of a sudden everybody thought of, they should tell me what I should be doing with my life and, you know, could be walking into a family business and doing $20 million in revenue a year. Right. Uh, but it, it's, it's what I needed to do with my life and I knew it. And I'm, I'm very happy at 22 that I had that, that clarity uh, to follow that path. And it kind of reaffirmed it for me where it's like, this is what you need to do the rest of your life. Where if there's something that you truly believe in deep down inside and you have this gut feeling, you need to follow it. But if you have a lot of naysayers out there, you, you got to put them aside and you got to put your head down and you got to go with it. That's right. So what did you learn during special ops training, Green Beret training? I mean, what were some of the biggest takeaways that now still to this day are, you know, into your core? Like these are solid beliefs. You're never getting rid of this. Yeah. You know, when I went through training, you know, I, I thought it was just kind of like training me to go to war. Uh, but what I didn't realize was like it was just training me for the rest of my life and, and the yeah. lesson that I learned. So it took me two years or one year and 363 days from the day I joined the army until the day I earned my Green Beret. Wow. As, you know, the, the training between basic training, airborne school, the special forces training was incredibly intense. You know, at one point I lost 30 pounds in one month uh, because of how wow. virtuous it was. Like at another point I didn't sleep for three days and didn't eat for an entire week, like at the same time. But the, the lessons I learned were incredible. And I, I would think, you know, so the biggest one that I learned, or, you know, two really big lessons stand out to me that I've really tried to apply to my life is um, the concept of earning that green beret, you know, that was like this big goal that I had, you know, kind of starting at the age of 14. But, you know, when it's the, the fifth straight month of training and it's February and you're walking through a swamp in North Carolina and it's 35 degrees outside and it's two in the morning, the concept of, of getting that beret fades very quickly. Right. And so, you know, I realized it was like, you have to set these huge goals for yourself in life, right? Like that's just incredibly motivating to me. I'm like, but you're going to need to kind of backwards plan a little bit and, and, and set these smaller goals along the way to, to, to mark your progress, to mark your success, but to keep you motivated. Right. So when you're in that swamp at two in the morning and it's freezing and you don't really care about that beret anymore, like, What's that small goal that you need to achieve? And so a lot of times it was like, hey, just get through the next training iteration or, you know, thinking, okay, just get through the day. And then sometimes it was like, all right, just put one foot in front of the other. That's right. and if you can do that. You'll be good. And, you know, make sure too, when you set these smaller goals to get to that bigger goal, like you celebrate those successes, it keeps you motivated. And so that's something I had to, I had to keep in mind after I got hurt, right? Like to yeah. really follow this. Um, and I think another big thing too, that I learned was, uh, I was at the final exercise of the course and, you know, my instructor could see this reluctance with me and kind of like doing my commanding that I needed to do and, and a lot of the stuff on the missions. And he pulls me aside. He's like, man, you're, you're way too scared of making a mistake here. You know what you're supposed to do. You're trained very well for this. Now you have to let your gut take over. You're going to let your instincts take, take over. And guess what? You're going to make mistakes. You got to be okay with that. Right. And you, you got to learn from them. And so, um, I think the two biggest things I got out of there was like setting big goals for yourself, but then, you know, making a very clear path to those goals. And then also just understanding that you're going to make mistakes and that's fine. Embrace it, learn from it and grow from it. Yeah. Yeah. I call it the bounce back theory. And, you know, we talk about it a lot, but as those that get negative results in their life or they have a failure, they have a setback, those that bounce back quicker 
are always way more successful, right? That's what I have found, whether it's through this show or just through our you know, wealth management business at Visionary Wealth Advisors. I mean, the, the most successful people, they bounce back quickly, right? From defeat. And so I think that's, it's crucial for what you're saying. And so w- when you think about that though, like, like you said, at two in the morning, it's 35 degrees out, you know, how do you not quit, right? How do you, what is that purpose or that passion or that end in mind that you've got that was greater than the feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm freezing, I'm shivering. I just feel like I'd rather die than do this. What was that for you? I think for me, you know, when you're about ready to undertake this massive goal you have in life, right? It's like whether like I'm going to start a new business, uh, book, you know, something, some, some very big goal before you really start and, and dedicate yourself to it. You know, you have to ask yourself, like, am I willing to make the necessary sacrifices to achieve? Yeah. There's been a lot of times where like, I've been very realistic with myself and said, you know what? I don't, I don't think you are. I don't think you want to make these sacrifices yeah. to achieve these goals. I don't think you want to set these smaller goals along the way. And I, I'm just kind of forget about that goal. Um, but if I come to that conclusion and say, Hey, you know, this is like, this is what I want more than anything in life right now. Right. And then like understanding I'm willing to make those sacrifices. It puts me into this mindset of like, you're just not going to quit no matter what, no matter how tired you are, no matter cold, no matter wet or hungry you are. Um, and then for me, that just like, it, it flips the switch and that's, that's how I'm going to think about it. That's how I'm not going to quit and think about that big overarching goal. And then just remind myself, you just got to get through the day. That's right. So talk to us about the 10 year anniversary of September 11th, 2001. So September of 2011, you had a pretty, uh, life-changing month to say, yeah. it, to say it lightly. Uh, so I never want to steal people's thunder as you have an amazing story. So kind of maybe walk us through, walk our listeners through your kind of that month. And then what ended up happening in September of 2011? Yeah. So, so September 11th, I think is always a pretty emotional, pretty impactful day for most people, right. In this country, just kind of thinking back to where they were. It's kind of like the Pearl Harbor of our generation. Right. right. Um, so that, you know, being in Afghanistan in September of that year for the, uh, for the 10th anniversary, of 9-11 was, was pretty uh, emotional for me, for my teammates. And this was my second deployment to Afghanistan. I was, did both my deployments into the northern part, uh, based of uh, area <clears throat> working with the Afghan commandos. We were pretty fortunate to, uh, to, you know, we went there in 2010. We went back again in 2011, the seven-month break, if you can call it that, in between. But worked with the same guys. And so we were really fortunate to do this, you know, because we had built up a lot of rapport with them. And so on September 25th, 2011, about two weeks, two weeks after 9-11, uh, my team got tasked to do a valley clearing operation in the northwestern part of the country. And it was, it was routine for us at that point. You know, we'd been in Afghanistan for 14 out of the past uh, 24, 25 months. And, you know, basically what we do is you get dropped off at one end of a valley and we would kind of search through the valley look at some, you know, talk to the people, search some of the buildings, just kind of get a feel for the area and see, you know, what was going on there. If I can interrupt, if you don't mind, as we go through this story. Um, so when you think about, so I'm, I'm picturing two valleys, right? Or two, two peaks, you're going through the valley. So are those mostly mountainous, like not a lot of people around, or is this like some towns that you go through throughout the whole thing? Yeah, it's mostly, it's, it's like mountainous, not a lot of people. It's these kind of small, like mud hut um, villages. Okay. In, in the floor of the valley. And you obviously have no idea what you're walking into every time you do this. 
Right. You know, you like, I remember this was the first time we'd ever went to that valley and okay. I had feeling, oh, wow, like everybody else has lived here their whole life. <laughs> this right. is the first time that I've been here. And so, you know, it's like the, the, the sun, um, it was still dark out when we landed and, you know, about an hour into the mission, the sun's coming up over the mountain, you know, all of a sudden, you know, AK-47 fire starts to ring out. Uh, one of my teammates, was engaged in a very close, call like a near ambush, very, very close quarters uh, kind of engagement with the enemy. And so from, from that point on, really for like the next 10 hours, uh, we just kind of went back and forth in this valley until um, in, in about that 10th hour, I, I was coming off a roof and I went around the corner of the building and kind of just popped out for a second to get a little advantage point as to what I wanted to do with my next move. And it just felt like somebody just came and hit me in the stomach with a sledgehammer as, as hard as they could. And I uh, had, to, had to kind of fight to, to keep conscious as my body slammed off the ground. Wow. So you get shot. Uh, and so this is 10 hours into a fight. So obviously, you know, nutrition, water, all that kind of stuff is, is that's, that's gone. Um, the adrenaline's flying. So, so what happens then? So obviously you, you're mentally and, and physically trained for it, but you can't really train for a gunshot right into the gut. Right. I mean, it's, it's something you can't train for. So, so what happens? You get to the floor, there's obviously bullets still flying around everywhere. I assume what happens next? Yeah. I mean, you know, you mentioned you can't train for something like that. Um, I, I think I, I would counter it. Like you can train as much as you can right? For something like that. And in a stressful situation like that, or just anything in life, right? You know, business, family, life in general, you're always going to revert back to life. That's right. So if you know the right thing, if you've been practicing the right thing, right? During those times of stress, then, then you're going to be in pretty good shape, right? But if you haven't been putting the time or the effort in, then you're going to be hurting. And so from the first day that I joined the army, I had people who invested a lot of time in me and made me practice things hundreds, thousands of times, right? So in this moment right here where my life hung in the balance, like I was like this muscle memory had been built up and I was ready. And so let's pause there for a second. So, so how do you do that though, right? Because again, you're in the heat of the battle, yep. you're, you're shot, you're, you're obviously blood everywhere and... Uh, I mean, how do you, I'm just trying to wrap my brain around how do you mentally muscle memory know, okay, I've been shot. Now I do this, stay calm, breathe. Yeah. So actually there wasn't a lot of blood, which was, was kind of strange to me. It was all internal at the time. Um, and, you know, we would just had practiced so many medical situations kind of, I think I'd been in the army at that point, almost five years. And so, you know, would we be at the range shooting if we had free time, we would practice things like, you know, okay, hey, um, you have uh, a wound to your leg, uh, your left arm has been blown off. Um, so you need to use your right hand to, to put your tourniquet on your left leg and you only have one arm. And we would just run through things like that all the time. Okay, all right, now you have to use your non-dominant hand here. Um, or we go through training uh, iterations, um, you know, things that you wouldn't even know you'd be, you'd be doing a training iteration. And all of a sudden that, you know, people running that thing would be like, all right, Hey, these two have gunshot wounds. Like you, you, you need to go work on them. And so you just go through these experiences and kind of like your stress level continues to go down the more you become accustomed to it. Yeah. And that kind of becomes like the reaction uh, that you have to those. And so like in this moment, you know, I had never specifically prepared, I think, you know, for the exact injury that I had, but I prepared sure. in so many other different mechanisms that 
I had a really good idea of kind of what I needed to do to, to progress that situation along. And think about that. Like how many of us do that in the boardroom, right? In the business room or the school room or pick, pick your topic, right? Whatever it is you do for a living in, in the, in the, in the law room, right? In the, in the courthouse. Um, we don't always sit there and go over a hundred times or thousands of times that same presentation to be ready for the big show. Right. But I think that's one of the things I've learned with interviewing lots of military people is you guys are ready. Right. I mean, you're ready for the big show because your big show is I'm probably hopefully knock on wood here. If I walk into a big board meeting room today or I got to give a speech today at Visionary University, um, I'm probably not going to get shot at. Right. Hopefully not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully not. Right. But, but to the point of you, that's what you guys do. Your life is on the line at all times. And you, you just think about how do you apply those same tactics to what we do professionally? Yeah. Uh, we're not in a war situation. I think it's a huge opportunity for people. I, I completely agree. Um, and that's why I think it's, it's kind of, like I said, you revert back to what you know. Yeah. So if just even think about uh, how do you handle stress in life? Right. For me, for a long time after I got hurt, I got out of the military, or even while I was in the military, right? It was uh, drinking, prescription drug abuse, those things, right? Because that's what I that's that's what I knew to handle my stress. Yeah. Like what do I know now? I do meditation, I do journaling, I do yoga, right? And I practice it. That's why it's called a yeah. practice. I practice right. it every right. day. So that you know, when the when the crap hits the fan, that those are the things I revert yeah. back to. Yeah. So- I will say like one thing though is there's a lot to be gleaned from that lesson of like preparation and reverting back to what you know for the business world and just anything in general. But one of the things that I also did have to work on, I think when I got out of the military was understanding that, like to your point, nobody's going to be shooting at me today. Oh, I can't. Yeah. Do, do your preparation, but like, let's not obsess over everything. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget. I was at a uh, birthday party a good buddy of mine, and I'll keep his name out of this just for his privacy, but we're at a birthday party for his daughter and we're at a restaurant in this private room. And I'm serious. Like he was literally home for maybe 10 hours at this time. He'd been going back and forth to uh, Afghanistan. And, and I remember we were in this room, you know, a little, little room inside a restaurant and the balloon pops right in the background behind us. And he and I were standing there talking that guy's reaction I mean, he was mentally right back into where he thought he was in, just from a balloon, right? I mean, it scared all of us, but but it took him to a different level than what it took me to, obviously, right? Because I'm not used to what he was used to. So, yeah, I can't imagine the, the mental side of that. So, walk us through now that the, the team comes in, they get you, I'm, I'm assuming, maybe I'm wrong, but um, I'm assuming fighting for your life, they get you probably on a chopper. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so, you know, the teammates come in, um, you know, you have guys, I know how to treat somebody in the field who is severely wounded and, you know, like, oh, it's going to be all right. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're very like, yeah. and energetic. Right. you're going to get it, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry about this. And <laughs> so that was what was happening to me. And so I was like, oh boy, like, this is, and, uh, yeah. I could don't hear play guys. tricks on me here, guys. Yeah. Um, I could hear people talking um, in the background of like, Hey, is Kevin going to make it? Oh, it looks pretty bad. And I'm like, I can hear this guys. I'm right, right. Here. I'm right here. Um, and, and it really, it was like, hit me. I'm like, I, I think this is it for you. And I think you're, you're probably going to die here. But um, And you're having these thoughts to yourself. Yeah. But I, I think at that point in my life, like I had, um, I had done everything in my power to, to, to live my life the best that I could. I had made tons of mistakes. I wasn't a great person. Um, wasn't always the best husband, brother, father, you know, citizen of this world, but I, I tried my hardest and kind of in that moment there, I 
wasn't necessarily fearing death. Like, and it was a great mm-hmm. lesson for me to understand that, uh, you know, you, you want to live your life out there to the max. It doesn't mean you're gonna live your life perfectly. They just, you know, you're, you're trying as hard as you can uh, to do it. So that when you're in a moment like that, you're not going to have a ton of regret in your life. Um, I've tried to carry that on the rest of my life. I like to do like a, a deathbed exercise each year where I'm like wow. being realistic about, okay, who's at my deathbed, right? What are they saying about me? Uh, and then like at candidly asking myself about my life. And for me personally, it works really well, puts things into perspective because my life has changed significantly in the past nine years with like the addition of kids. Um, so yeah, my, you know, my teammates stabilized me, put me on the helicopter, you know, I get into the surgery tent and, um, you know, I'm asking for my last rights. And the next thing you know, I, I wake up. So you're uh, coherent asking for this. Yeah. I remember everything. I was, I was, I was, I was awake the whole time. <laughs> Can't I just pass out here? Right. It's like... yeah, seriously. I, I, um, I, there was a point where I had to like remind my, my buddies to like, give me my pain meds. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I woke up in Germany four days later and, uh, was an unbelievable feeling to, to be alive, but also very emotional uh, feeling to, uh, to be oh. in Germany, to have this near death experience. And, and when you woke up, so again, sorry to interrupt, but when you woke up four days later, did you, did you, you, you remembered what happened and I mean, you kind of looked down at your stomach. I mean, what, what was going on there? Yeah. I mean, when I was there, it was, I had to have things explained to me a couple of times because I was on a lot of drugs. Right. My stomach had been cut open. My hip was fractured. Um, you know, a huge portion of my colon had been removed. My left leg was paralyzed. We didn't really know the extent of that at the time due to nerve damage. So it was just super emotional for me to kind of wake up there by yourself. It's pretty scary actually. To, to, yeah. Uh, and, you know, luckily I had a friend that was there who had gotten hurt a couple of, like about a year earlier, actually. And, you know, he comes in and he had gotten hit with two year days and had gotten shot. And he, he, uh, he, he comes in and he says, Hey, listen, um, you know, plenty of people have been shot. Don't be a, a wussy about this. But, you know, he didn't say that. He said, probably didn't say it that nicely. <laughs> drop an F-bomb. Drop some <laughs> um, but uh, it was good advice because, like, even in that moment, right, like, that had to set the tempo right there of trying not to feel sorry for myself. Um, yeah. And then, As you know, you're sitting here laying in your bed just a few days removed from just getting shot. Yeah, tubes hanging out of my body, you know, uh, in intensive care. Uh, but that's the tough love I think that I needed and that like another green beret who was really right. wounded could, uh, could give me, it was funny. I visited him in the hospital. He had the opportunity to visit me, repay the favor. Uh, but, uh, you know, a week later I'm in uh, Texas and I I'm seeing guys with their arms, missing their arms, missing legs, burned from head to toe. And it's like, yeah, man, the guy's right. Plenty of people have been shot and <laughs> plenty of people have had it worse than you. So you got to yeah try to keep that perspective as much as possible there. Yeah. And you're, I mean, you're right. Cause like, uh, don't know if you know Travis Mills or not, but he was on, on this podcast and he's lost, you know, legs and arms. And it's, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it is all about perspective in life. Right. And I think again, to try to tie this back to the, the business world perspective is a big deal. Right. And so when you, when you hear that word perspective, what, what comes to mind for you? Yeah. I think, you know, for me at the time, that was a real lesson in what perspective is, right? So whenever I wanted to get down on myself or feel bad that I had to go to physical therapy or something and do the 8 million things they expected me to do that day, like, well, you know, I bet you a lot of your buddies that are missing their legs would be pretty happy to have to push this sled 
yeah. for like the next two hours or something. Right. Um, so like that, that was a huge piece of perspective there for me. But then even, I think a lot of it too, was I had to kind of come to this conclusion and say to myself, like, to not feel completely sorry for myself and to not think that I like owned misery and suffering also, right? Like that perspective of other people had things that were, were tough in their lives. Um, and so for, and, and also this perspective of like, Hey, look, like this is a path that you chose in life and you knew this was a possibility. And, you know, you, you're the person who, who chose that path for you. There wasn't a draft, there wasn't anything. And I think that that kind of brought it down a little bit for me. So that that's kind of the perspective that I gained or how to use perspective and going to business school and say, like when it was brutal for me to transition to business school and go through everything. Right. But I had to remind myself that, look, man, like no one made you do this. You right. fill out the application right. yourself. My you choice. Deposit down, right. And then even too, I think, you know, getting out of grad school and starting in the professional world, long days, hard days. And you're like, well, you know, I'm sure somebody else has it worse than you. So right. where'd you go to grad school? I did a dual master's with Harvard and MIT. That's what I thought. Yeah, hey, Those are okay schools, I guess. It's uh, it's all about that uh, setting huge goals for yourself and <laughs> that the people tell you are unattainable. And uh, so do you say you're a Harvard grad or an MIT grad or both? Uh, you know, I don't know. I just kind of, <laughs> so I, I usually say I went to grad school in Boston, you know? Right, exactly. It just <laughs> happens to be the best in the world. But other than that, that's fine. That's totally fine. I feel like them admitting me probably took them down a notch. In yeah, those years. exactly. So you're sitting there now. You're you're probably told you can't walk again, but you got you got to fight. You got to do all these things. You come back home. Um, it, it, again, it's not just you know sunshine and roses, right? It, it, there's a lot of dark days. So kind of walk our listeners through those to where it's a dark day for what you went through, or it's a dark day you just <laughs> lost your job because of COVID. Whatever it may be, walk us through that process. The dark days. And then again, if you can focus on that tipping point, what got you over to where, you know what, life's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, after, um, after, you know, things, I got hurt, uh, became pretty apparent that things were not going to heal on their own. So, you know, I ended up having to reach out to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota for an experimental surgery where they would take like a nerve from my leg and graft it into my stomach. And right when I, I found out about this very invasive and intense surgery one of my teammates was killed my team was supposed to come home in two weeks yeah. so you, you have both of these pieces of information and it's just like oh boy i wanted to to, to really kind of call it quits at that point uh, but you know one of the things that i've learned about these dark times in life and kind of like you know when you want to call it quits um you have to have what i call like your last line of defense right there's got to be somebody or something out there that will just motivate you no matter what, yeah. uh, to, to, to keep going. And for me in those moments um, early on, and your last line of defense is going to change throughout your whole life because your life changes. And so at that, at that moment, it was like, hey, like your wife like hasn't left you, right? She believes in you. You got to do this for her. There's a lot of other people out there that are supporting you and believing in you. And if you want to honor the memory of your buddies, then you really got to push forward. And, and so that helped me kind of get over the hump um, and, and go through uh, some, you know, the, the, the initial aspects of, of the physical therapy, but it just wasn't progressing very fast, right? Like my leg was paralyzed. It wasn't working. This nerve graft was going to take years. Mm. Um, this is the first time in three years I have to sit and think about the past and then the, my future is very uncertain. So, and, and, you know, when I left the Mayo Clinic, I was on 12 pills of Dilaudid, 12 pills of Percocet and two Valium, right? So 26 pills. <sighs> 
um, needed, right? And could wean myself down to like three or four, but like that kind of became this crutch for me uh, to, to, to deal with everything. And, you know, you're this guy who is a college football player, Green Beret, and now you need help putting your socks on, right? And it, it, was, it was really hard for me to, to kind of move forward, think about the future until my wife sat me down one day. And she's like, look, man, is this it? Right. Is this, is this what you're going to do with the rest of your yeah. life? And I was mad, but um, she was right. So I stopped taking pain meds. I started studying for grad school kind of the next day, pretty much. And so I think when you're, when you're going through these hard, dark, difficult times like COVID right now, you know, this is brutal, right? That's some days are like, what, like what is going on? Right. Um, you know, you what have, day to, is it? Right. Yeah. Right. Like, um, you, your last line of defense, right? Like what is going to be that thing that's always going to motivate you? Keep that in the back of your mind, right? Yeah. So that was what, for a little while, my buddies not letting people down. Now I have two kids, right? Like there's been hard days. I think about them. I'm like, you got to get up to set the example for them to provide for them. Right. Um, but there's three things too that, you know, you, you have to ask for help during these dark times. Don't go at things alone in life, right? I reached out to our psychologist at my unit and he was incredibly helpful and giving me kind of holistic ways to deal with things, right? You have to receive help, right? My wife wanted to help me. I just needed to act upon that. I need to receive right. that, right? Um, and I think the third tenet of this too, is like, you have to give help, right? So when you're going through a hard, dark, difficult time, you're saying to yourself, like, well, how can I possibly help anybody? Like, no, that's the perfect time for you to get yeah. up. So yeah. Like, it's going to give you perspective. It's going to give you purpose. It's going to give you meaning. Um, and, I, and I think the other big thing it got me going again. It got me motivated during these dark times was, you know, my wife challenged me with, with like these grad schools, like to, to aim really high for these things. Hmm. It was like similar to the Green Beret thing. It's like, well, you know what? I, I'm going to go, I'm going to look, I'm going to try to go to these schools. People are going to tell me no, right? but I'm going to do it. Like this is, and that's okay. Yeah. And, and that's what, that's what, like from that point on was getting me up in the morning was like giving me that purpose. Like, that maniacal focus that I needed to take, stay off of those pain meds because I'm like, all right, well, you got to focus on, on doing your applications and interviews and things like that. And, and so that was really important to me to get that sense of purpose back to have that big unattainable goal, right. That people said, and another big lesson I learned in special forces training is called don't self-select, right. When you're going through training, people are going to think like, well, you know, I'm not doing as well as I should be doing. Um, you know, maybe I'll just quit. Right? You're self-selecting yourself out of the situation, but in life, right? Like make other people make the decision for you. Don't make the decision for them. So, you know, I learned it in training. It was like, look, if I don't quit, I, I still might not get through training, but at least I'm going to have a better chance of if I quit. Right, right. And it was the same thing for me, like applying to these schools. I'm like, Hey, like, let's look, let's make them make the decision for me. Like, let's not guarantee the outcome by not applying. Yep. Absolutely. So what, what do you struggle with today? So post now, let's fast forward. Like you said, it's been nine years. Yeah. Do you mentally go back to that day? Do you ever had, do you lay in bed at night sometimes and think about that stuff? Or is that maybe put into a box and then that file cabinet back there behind you? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's so pertinent that you, you bring that up right now. I think, um, you know, one of the things I've been working on a lot with COVID here, yeah, just to have more time. I'm not commuting into the office um, is, is, is trying to have my, my past be this, uh, you know, this memory without so much emotion, right? Uh, a great quote I heard was like, a, you know, a memory without uh, emotion is wisdom. Hmm. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do and, and move on. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had this 
I had this uh, realization. I was like, in your home office, you have all this military stuff up and your diplomas from Harvard and MIT are somewhere in your basement. You don't even know where they are. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, it's been, I think, kind of my big attempt to try to utilize my past experiences to help people, right? To, to be very candid, to be very vulnerable about it. Yep. But what I need to do now is, is let go of some of them, utilize those lessons learned, um, but, but let go of it to allow my future to really take hold and blossom. Have you, I don't know, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but ha, do you, some, cause I guess, let me back up. Sometimes when people, when something happens in their life, again, maybe it's in the boardroom, it's at home, it's wherever it's in Afghanistan. It's the old shoulda, woulda, coulda, man, I should have done this. If I just would have done that. Right. And then they just constantly fester on this. I should have, woulda, coulda type stuff. Did you have that emotion or do you have that emotion to where you say, gosh, if I only would have looked this way versus that way or done this when I was coming off that roof versus that, did you have that at all? And if so, how did you get over it? So luckily for me, I've never had that emotion of like, oh man, I should have went left instead of right. Um, I think the reasoning behind that is because like I gave being a Green Beret, like everything I had. I, I was the player that left it all on the field. I felt yep. like. And so because of that, I never second guessed any of the decisions that I made in combat or anything. I mean, I made yeah. a lot of wrong decisions. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, by yeah. far, yeah. not perfect. But, uh, yeah. you know, didn't second guess those things. I, I think the, the bigger thing that I would think more about, not so much about like second guessing decisions that I made, but more so of, you know, being on my special forces team was incredible. It was like the, the guys were absolutely amazing. And it was so much meaning and so much purpose um, in my life and kind of like romanticizing the past, right? Not thinking about some of the bad things that I didn't like about things. And, and so that's kind of a trap that I've, I've fallen into in terms of thinking about the past that, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to, 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 to kind of like have these thoughts and these memories without so much emotion attached to them so that I can use them uh, to help other people out. But, you know, at the same time, create this future for myself. Yep. That's good. Um, I read something you wrote in, in a post and it said, courage is going forward when the outcome is uncertain. And I think that's a lot of wisdom right there, right? So say it again, courage is going forward when the outcome is uncertain. So talk about that. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of things in life for, for people. It's just, you know, the outcome, you're not going to know what it is. And a buddy of mine, Jason Van Camp, another Green Beret, he, he runs a company called Mission Six Zero, which I'm a part of. It's like a leadership consulting group. You know, he talks about how like fear kills more dreams than anything. Mm. And so I think when people see this, this outcome that's uncertain in life, right, that fear of that uncertainty, it kills that dream for them before it can even, even take place. It's like you, yeah. then you self-select yourself out of that goal um, because you're worried, you're scared. Yeah. What if you fail? Yeah. What, if, what if people make fun of you, right? Um, what, what if that's it? What if you can't recover from it? There's so many what ifs, right? Um, but you got to think about like that one where it's like, well, what if this works really well? <laughs> yeah. right? What if it goes the right way? Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you're walking right down the path. I always like to end with and, and toward the end of, of talking about fear. And so you just talked about it. And I always ask this question is how many of the fears you put up here in your mind have actually blown up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be. And we're talking to a guy that has literally been shot and almost killed and, and went through hell and back. Uh, and we're still t sitting here talking about fear and how many of them blew up to the magnitude. Yeah. Hey, you know, to 
a lot of people are like, well, Kevin, after everything you've been through, you're probably not scared of anything. You probably don't get stressed out about anything. I'm like, no, that's completely not true. Right. I'm, still, right. I'm still very afraid of failure. Yeah. Uh, I'm still like get very nervous. Um, you know, it, I think almost you get even probably more nervous than the, the, the normal person about things. But, uh, you know, for me, it, it's not necessarily a letting that, that fear dominate you. It's, it's taking that fear and utilizing it um, and saying like, you know, I, I'm, I'm worried I'm going to fail at this speech. So I'm going to practice it. Right. And I'm going to yeah. think about it, but I'm going to think about what does success look like? And that's just going to start ingraining that into my mind. I like that. That's awesome. So a couple of uh, fun things here real quick before we end is I take your phone from you today. And besides email, cause you need it for work. What's the one app you hope I don't delete from you? Oh man, my whoop app. I don't know if, uh, Oh yeah. Right there. It's funny. I saw it earlier. Literally you're the third guy in like four days I've interviewed that's worn the whoop. Like the last three people I've interviewed have all had the whoop on. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's been an uh, incredible, uh, like, you know, I, I, at post injury, right. I've had to like change my life completely. My diet is super strict. All these things. I measure everything, get blood work done every year. Here, hey, real quick. We're, here's what we're going to, we're going to send this piece to Will Ahmed and we're going to get him on this podcast. We're going to jointly interview him because I've been trying to get him on the show. You should. I was on, uh, Will had me on his show. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah, great guy. It's a Boston-based company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's just made a huge difference for me in terms of tracking my sleep, um, recovery times, and things like that. I mean, it's like the, the first thing I check every morning. So Yeah, same here. It's, it's fast. What's your, biggest, what's your biggest learning from it, do you think? Your biggest takeaways? How much I need sleep. Yeah. That's kind of, uh, yeah. know, the, the military, I, I think kind of like the business world, you know, you're seeing these like, you know, tech moguls that sleep four hours a night and train right. for ultra marathons at three 30 in the morning. And, um, yeah, you know, the military was like, you know, sleep, like that's a crutch. Um, yeah. I've learned sleep is the greatest performance enhancing drug that is out there. hundred <laughs> percent trying to, uh, you know, if I have a bad night's sleep, I like to backtrack and say, well, what did you do uh, during the day? Did you eat something differently? Um, did you, I don't know, too much screen time before bedtime. And that's helped me, you know, get, get a lot more sleep, which is maybe significantly more productive. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I always tell people, I feel like I'm a spokesperson for whoop right now, even though I'm not, uh, it's like all these people on here lately. So it's a, it's a phenomenal thing. Again, if anybody wants to learn more about it, reach out. Uh, well, Kevin, man, it's been absolutely awesome hearing your story, uh, just what you've been through and, and where you've gotten to, uh, now. So we really appreciate it. We appreciate you serving our country and all you've done for that. And uh, it's great having you, man. Right. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 